Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. On my 10th birthday, I went to Buenos Aires, Argentina to see my mom's side of the family. There was a doll my mom had when she was a little kid. That doll was half the size of me. It was creepy. It sat in the storage room, which was right next to where I slept. It was about 1.30 a.m. for me and I heard something crashing down and the storage room light turned on. Everyone jolted awake and the dog started barking. I was like, what was that? I turned the lights on and I saw the doll, which was once on the chair, had fallen onto the floor. It somehow knocked over a cup too. Let's just say the next few nights I spent there, I had difficulty sleeping. When I got back, I slept normally. A few years ago in my undergrad, I was walking home from my class when I started feeling really sick. 
I have anxiety and all of a sudden my nerves shot up to a 10. I felt like I was going to puke and I was shaky. I went and sat on a bench in this strip mall on campus where they basically have a lot of stores and restaurants. After a while, the nausea went away and I just felt really, really tired. It was midterm season and I thought I was just exhausted so I went inside this coffee shop to get coffee. While in line I felt so sick again. By the time I paid for my coffee my anxiety was through the roof. I seriously thought maybe they'd messed up my meds or something. I walked home, put the coffee in the fridge, and lay down in bed where I couldn't sleep at all. After like half an hour of staring at the ceiling I get this huge urge to call my dad. My dad is an amazing guy, but when it comes to mental illness, he sees it as kind of creepy weird, and so I've never talked about my anxiety with him. So I push away the feeling and figure it must just be that I'm desperate for someone to tell me everything's fine and frigging relax, his usual response when I'm anxious. Another hour or so goes by. I get a message on Facebook from my brother, and I am so shaken. He tells me there was a gas leak at the factory where my dad works, the entire neighborhood had to evacuate and two people died. Later it came out that the police suspected it was an ass by the mechanic and unfortunately he took a security guard out with him. Here's the thing, my dad is also a security guard. There are usually two of them on duty, but halfway through driving to work, my dad realized he forgot his lunch and his access card, so he had to drive back home to get it. As he was getting ready to drive back again, his supervisor called him and told him not to go into work. There was a major gas leak. The rest of the night I felt totally fine. I don't know what that was, but it creeps me out to this day. Since then I've told myself no matter how weird it seems I need to tell people when I feel like this. I told my dad about this years later and he basically just said, wow thanks for not calling to warn me but he's still really sad about his friend that he lost, so he doesn't like to talk about it much. The college I went to was pretty isolated and in the middle of nowhere. It took me over an hour to get home each day. There was a lot of small trails and forest areas on and around campus to walk through though. Me and my two friends at the time used to frequently walk down this wooded trail until we got to a little stone bridge going over a canal, we would take the steps and sit under the bridge, usually feeding the ducks. People who lived on the other side typically had boats and such to take down the canal, and I guess this guy was no exception. One day this man walked past us, seemingly just going under the bridge to continue down the canal. He took a few steps out and then turned around to look at us. He said his name was Indy and started asking us about college and how often we came here. My friend L extremely tall and decently threatening if he wants to be got a little defensive and he asked for our names. He said he had a boat on the river and pointed it out and asked if we could maybe just keep an eye on it whenever we are close by to make sure nothing happens to it I guess. L agreed and pretended to take the guy's phone number and he left back the way he came. This boat looked like it hadn't been used in at least a year. It was filthy and slightly broken. We left soon after this encounter as we felt creeped out. Elle told everyone to not go back there alone just in case he was a predator or something. I didn't listen and went back there to read about a week later. It was peaceful and got me off campus. However, he came back. 
I saw him walking back towards the bridge in the same direction he came from last time. Something in my gut told me to get out of there, so I grabbed my things and basically ran back to college. Since then we've never seen that old boat or Indy ever again. Part of me wonders what happened to him, but the other is glad he didn't come back. My friend said they saw a cryptid when they were younger, around nine years ago, and that later they saw an image of it online. I've been searching for it, but with no luck, please help me find it. Here's the description they gave me. It was brown and flaky looking, roughly human-sized and walked backwards on all fours, and had long sharp tusk-like teeth that went downwards. They said it looked scary and like it could hurt them, but that wasn't aggressive. They saw it at night upon opening their back door in a city in New South Wales, Australia, and said that it scampered through their house and that it was somewhat fast. I asked if it was a wandering Sigbin and they said it wasn't. I have always been fascinated by tales of creatures that lurk in the depths of the ocean or rivers. So when I came across a story about a cryptid from Greenland, I was immediately intrigued. The creature was described as a large rodent-like creature, similar in form to a rat or mouse, but with a long and sharp tail made of steel or iron. According to the legend, the creature would swim underwater, sneaking up on boats and ships and using its sharp tail to poke holes in them, causing them to sink. Once the ships were submerged, the creature would feast on the humans aboard. As terrifying as the tail was, it only became more frightening when I learned that it was often told to children to scare them into staying inside at night. The thought of this creature lurking beneath the waves, waiting to attack unsuspecting victims, sent shivers down my spine. But the story didn't end there. There was also a tale of a little girl and her father who were leaving Greenland on separate ships, as the ships separated passengers by sex. The little girl arrived safely on land, but soon heard the terrible news that her father's ship had been sunk by the cryptid. As I delved deeper into the story, I found myself becoming more and more obsessed with this mysterious creature. I scoured the internet for any information I could find, but to no avail. It was as if the creature had vanished into thin air. Despite my frustration, I couldn't shake the feeling that there was more to the story than what was being told. Perhaps there were others who had encountered the creature and had their own tales to share. And maybe, just maybe, I could be the one to uncover the truth about this elusive cryptid. So I live in a town in the Blue Mountains Australian, a place known for Yowie and Panther sightings, and I have heard strange calls coming from the nearby bush before. So a few months ago, I was riding my bike on some old fire trails, and I just felt really strange all of a sudden, but I kept going. So first I went by a sewage treatment facility and felt really of like something was watching me. Then I went down a hill and decided to go down to some nearby waterfalls. As I was going down to the falls, I again felt really of and worried. I then saw two guys walking by and I stopped and looked around and felt this overwhelming dread come over me. So I decided to book it back up the hill and I could hear cracking from the bush and I kept looking behind me, but there was nothing there. I've heard of drug addicts that lie down in that area of town, but they usually camp deep in the bush and don't really come out. 
I've also heard of a Yowie that lives in the area called Fatfoot, but as far as I know, no one has seen him in years. Since then, I haven't really been down those fire trails, but there was another one where I also felt off. Anyone know what it could be? I'm back with another story I'd like to share with you. Or rather, I feel the need to share with you as there's nothing I like about it when someone goes missing in our national parks. The British search and rescue team are contacted immediately. However, they're always at least half an hour's flight away. And even then, they only have so much flight time before they are forced to turn their helicopter around to refuel. This leaves a lot of searching down to the rangers, as we know all of the areas and trails very well. It's always an adrenaline pump situation to be in, as you never know what the outcome will be. Usually, the helicopter spots the lost people within 20 minutes of joining the search. But then there are the missing people. You should know that between the rangers, we refer to these situations with two categories, lost people and missing people. A lost person is a normal search and rescue scenario. Somebody went down the wrong trail and hasn't been seen in a while, and perhaps throwing a broken leg for good measure. The main thing is that we find them, even if they are a little beaten up. A missing person is somebody who hasn't been seen for anything over a day, or if the situation just seems off. For example, when people just seem to disappear, I have one particular case I'm going to share with you. I will warn you closer to the time, but there is some pretty explicit content in this memory, so here is your far pre-warning. It was a pretty standard shift. The sky was just starting to dim as the sun started sinking towards the horizon, and I was sat in the ranger station taking calls and checking emails. When a woman comes bursting to the door, absolutely beside herself, her hair is a mess with leaves tangled in it, her makeup is all smudged down and across her face, and her eyes are red from crying. She's telling me that her son had been by her side one minute, and when he went to the bushes just off the trail for a wee, he never came back. There was no scream, no noise, no nothing. I knew at this instant we had a missing person on our hands, and my heart stopped. A missing child was always bad news and seldom had a happy ending. He had been in the bush for maybe two minutes when his mother called out to him, and she went running into the woods to try and find him. She was very lucky to have made it back to the trail without getting lost or worse, if you ask me. I tried my best to calm her down and took her to a map, and after showing her where our station was, I asked her to try and locate their average location at the time while I made some calls. She protested at first, but after assuring her we had dealt with this kind of situation many times before, she brought herself to trust my instructions and started tracing her tracks on the map. I immediately called the search and rescue team closest to us and told them the exact location was to be confirmed, but to dispatch a helicopter for a missing child. They gave us an ETA of 40 minutes. I gather all the rangers on duty and after confirming with the woman where she believed they were when he disappeared, we all get assigned grids on the map to check and we head out. We are very thorough as we search, and we each square off the grid very effectively and do not leave so much as a rock unturned. So we're getting deeper and deeper into the woods. At this point, we've been searching for a good couple of hours, but the dogs hadn't picked up the boys' scent yet, and we were merely doing a routine comb-styled search. 
The helicopter was buzzing around nonstop and everybody was quiet. No one really spoke much while looking for children. I think it's because of the fact that it's a child we're looking for, not an adult who may be able to look after themselves. I'm getting this heavy knotted feeling in my gut, you know, the kind you get when you just know that it's going to be a fruitless effort. I should also mention that it's getting dark now and there's not much light left and what little is left is completely blocked out by the trees, so it's flashlights from here on out. We'll never find this kid, bro, my colleague said in a completely flat voice. Don't talk like that. We never know what we can find while searching, I reply sharply, though deep down in my gut, I knew that child was gone. The helicopter heads back for some more fuel and comes back again after a further few hours of searching. It is getting very dark and we call it a night as everyone needs to be back before the forest is completely consumed by darkness. The woman stayed in one of the medical beds we had previously prepared for her son, though I doubt she slept at all. I watched the cameras that lay deep in the forest, somewhat in the area the child could have walked in. After an hour or so of nothing, I eventually decided to call it a night. We didn't find this boy the next day or the day after that, for that matter. Three weeks later, one of our rangers radios that they found the body of the child deep into the woods. So sad. This is a story my uncle told us when he was younger and my cousin was just some months old. I was around 15 or so. He was explaining it to my father and looked actually scared about it. For what he told my father and I heard there myself, he had been dreaming three, four times with the same old woman and his daughter. The woman had bright red eyes, and in all his dreams she hurt his baby one way or another. So just a nightmare, which sucked, but whatever. Some days later they go around town with their baby and took some photos. And when a couple of weeks later my uncle went to get them developed, he got a nasty surprise. In one of the photos of just the baby playing on some grass, there was an old woman at the background. The light had made it so she had red eyes, and my uncle sworn up and down it was the same woman that appeared in his dreams. And then his wife pipped in that indeed there was something strange there, because she could have sworn they were alone in the park while taking those photos. She didn't seem to believe it was that scary, but she hadn't noticed the woman at all, she said. They spent a week or so staying with us until my uncle decided it was his imagination, and they went back home. Two years later, his wife tried to kill him while he was sleeping with a knife and tried to go after their daughter, but that didn't have anything to do with it. Turns out having schizophrenia, not saying anything to your boyfriend even when he turns into your husband, stopping taking your meds and your whole family deciding to lie to that same husband saying you were perfectly fine is not a good idea. I was one of the 25 elite hunters invited to participate in a secret hunting competition on a private island organized by a mysterious and eccentric billionaire. The excitement was palpable as we arrived on the island, eager to test our skills and experience the thrill of the hunt. Little did we know the true nature of the challenge that awaited us. As we explored the island, we soon discovered that it was inhabited by unknown creatures with extraordinary abilities. These beasts were unlike anything we had ever seen agile, cunning, and lethal. One by one, my fellow hunters began to fall, devoured by the monsters that roamed the island. 
It wasn't long before only five of us remained. Determined to survive and unravel the mystery of the island, I decided to investigate the true intentions of our enigmatic host. It wasn't long before I discovered that the billionaire was not only the mastermind behind the event, but also the creator of these creatures. He had engineered them as the ultimate hunting challenge, pitting us against his monstrous creations to satisfy his twisted sense of amusement. With this newfound knowledge, I decided to use my wits and understanding of the creature's abilities to defeat the billionaire and his abominations. I observed the predator's habits and patterns, formulating a plan to turn the tables on our tormentor. I set up a controlled fire in a specific area of the woods, carefully managing the blaze to ensure that it didn't spread uncontrollably. As the predators moved through their territory, they were drawn towards the fire by curiosity or the sounds of prey. Once the creatures were close enough, I used the fire as a barrier, trapping them and forcing them to face me in a final confrontation. The fire disoriented the predators, and I took advantage of their confusion to drive them into a preset trap. As the creatures struggled in their confinement, I approached the billionaire, who had been watching the events unfold from a distance. His eyes widened in fear and surprise as he realized that I had outsmarted him and his monstrous creations. Using the billionaire's own creations against him, I forced him to confront the reality of the terror he had unleashed on the island. As the creatures closed in on their creator, he finally understood the consequences of his actions. With the billionaire defeated, I managed to escape the island, leaving behind the horrors that had claimed the lives of my fellow hunters. I vowed never to forget their sacrifices and to share the cautionary tale of our experience, a chilling reminder of the dangers that can arise when human ambition and curiosity are left unchecked. I'm from a real small town in Florida called Wewahitchka. It's in Gulf County, about 50 miles southwest of Tallahassee on the Panhandle. The area has lots of lakes and rivers. We lived on several acres in the middle of nowhere. We had dirt roads my whole childhood. At the time, we had a single wide trailer. Lots of people in our community were complaining about an upright creature terrorizing them at night and stealing livestock and pets. My parents were city folks that moved into the area before I was born and opened a business, so my parents told me it was just stories to scare us because we were outsiders. At the time when this happened, I was 14 years old, and I had a younger brother that was five years old. One night in October 2004, my dad and I were watching TV. My brother was in bed. My mom was in the kitchen. We had one bedroom and I had to pass the kitchen and my brother's room to get to the bathroom. My brother was sitting up in bed and he was crying. I tried to console him because I didn't want to get him in trouble for not sleeping. He whispered to me a man was looking in his window. I looked out the window and to my horror, I see a pair of yellow glowing eyes watching us. So I grabbed my brother up. I knew my dad was in the living room and he kept a gun on the kitchen counter. I yelled to my dad that some sicko was looking in the window at my brother. Just then I saw his whole face. It looked like a Neanderthal man with long brown hair and it looked terrifying. His face was at the bottom of the window. I saw this massive chest and abdomen. It must have been nine feet tall. My dad burst out on the front porch with a gun in his hand, and he fires several times. 
It looked at my dad for a moment, then ran for the tree line. My dad then came in and my mother and brother were crying because of the sound of the 44 Magnum. My parents told me to go to bed and to take my brother with me. I overheard my parents talking. They didn't call the cops because they didn't know what it was. It was not human. My mother told my father tomorrow I want all the trees gone, not a single one taller than you can stay. He reluctantly agreed. He called in every friend in every favor and had seven acres removed by sundown on Saturday. I had two friends close in age. One lived a mile away and the other two miles away. The closest came down that Saturday morning and I asked him if he heard the gunshots the night before. I told him it was my dad. My mother came out and told me to stay out of the woods. She was going into town with my brother to buy curtains and blinds, which was something we really didn't need before. But since this happened, we put curtains up. After my mother pulled away, we got our friends, and I guess they basically pulled together their friends so they could go look. So we grabbed our guns and our machete. We knew the woods really well. We backtracked my yard and picked up on a trail. We spotted blood at the tree line. My father was washing away blood from the side of the mobile home, and so we went back into the woods following the blood. As we walked, we came across a crude shelter with the remains of what looked like trash. This thing was stealing trash and taking it to this little crude shelter. We followed the trails for hours. We heard a howl and a scream like no other we'd heard before. My father must have heard it and grabbed his buddies, and they raced into the woods with their guns in hand. They looked terrified when we finally crossed paths. He said they saw the blood trail and asked what we found. We told them about the shelter and we took them where we'd been. We had been so keen on following the trail we had never noticed the carcasses of deer and dogs high in the trees. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My father chopped down the shelter and urinated all over it. One of his friends said that they had to mark to take back our land. It sounded crazy, but I looked up to this man, and he seemed to know what he was talking about. The six of us made a pact that it was a bear and to never talk about it again. As we moved back to our house, we heard the howl again, and it was mad. It sounded closer this time. Our fathers told us to run. The three of them were side by side firing at something. Of course, we didn't go far. Whatever it was died that afternoon. My dad told me to get a few shovels and be quick about it. 
We didn't want anyone to see a thing. I was the only one they let approach it because I had already seen it through the window. We took turns digging the hole. It was a Bigfoot, nine feet or taller and so wide. I could not jump over it. It was a male. His face was all shot up, but its upper lip was five inches from the base of his nose to the opening. Its arms were as big as my dad's legs. His fingers were as wide as Coke cans. Its feet were longer than the barrel of my shotgun. We buried it and left for my house. Our mothers were waiting for us and frantically asked what it was. We said that it was a bear and it was injured so we put it down and buried it. We didn't want to get in trouble with the game warden. That's what we told him and I think my mother knew the truth, but it was best not said. Back in 1993, my mom, older sister, and I were at the public storage in Hoffman Estates, Illinois, putting some things into storage. It was in the evening, but it was pretty lit up at the facility. Behind the storage was a big wooded area. There we saw a white grayish creature staring at us. We were shaken with fear. It was across the field, so it was a little of a distance away. But even though it was that far away, it was tall and manlike. My sister screamed so loud after her initial shock wore off and this thing turned around and leaped over the fence and landed on the other side on two feet, and then ran into the woods. This fence was about six, eight feet high at least, so we knew this thing was not human. It was pretty scary. We told everyone about it. People joked, of course, but to us, it was no laughing matter. It scared us so much that my mom had the movers move all of my sister's stuff out of that storage. We were convinced that we saw some sort of Bigfoot, It was the weekend before Thanksgiving and Lee was camping in the Ozark National Forest in Arkansas, trying to get a deer for Thanksgiving in the freezer. It was an annual tradition for Lee to venture into the same woods he hunted with his dad every year before he died. These woods were where his dad taught him to leave no trace, to respect the sacred place, and to always give thanks when it gave up its gifts. Going without his dad this year didn't feel right, but his wife encouraged him to keep the tradition. Lee finished up his sandwich, cleaned up camp, grabbed his gear, and started walking into the woods. The leaves crunched under his feet, and the sweet smell of forest decay and moist dirt was in the air. Reaching his favorite clearing alongside a creek didn't take too long. He set his pack down and started checking the game trails leading to the clearing from the forest, deciding which way he would go next. Once he made up his mind, he returned to his pack, pulled out an apple, and left it on the rock in the center of the clearing before heading down the game trail. He remembered the first time he went hunting with his dad and saw him leave a pile of apples. It was always Arkansas black apples from their tree back at home. His dad told him that when the forest gives you a gift, it's only fitting to leave a gift as well. It felt mystical as a child, but now that Lee was a grown man, he believed that apples were like his dad's lucky pair of hunting underwear. His dad was very successful hunting deer and always seemed to show up near him. So he decided to keep the tradition, at least the apple part. His dad took his lucky underwear to the grave. Lee started chuckling as he walked along the creek when he recalled the horrified look on the mortician's face when he handed her the lucky underwear they were patched with many pieces of fabric over the years, often flowery remnants of his sister's dresses. 
His dad may have been a mountain man, but he was buried with roses on his rear end. His chuckle had turned to a laugh when suddenly a red fox ran past him, and a rock landed on the ground in front of him rolling forward on the ground. He gripped his rifle tighter as he turned around to confront whoever threw the rock. He couldn't see anyone nearby, so he lifted his rifle to his shoulder and started looking in the direction the rock had come from through his scope. Near the entrance to the clearing, partially behind the large oak, was a large figure. A little scared but mostly angry, Lee yelled, hey, at the figure. The figure stepped out from behind the tree and Lee realized what he was looking at. In his sight was a creature standing on two legs covered in shaggy brown hair. It was clearly a male and had broad, massive shoulders that led to a head with tiny neck in between. He could see the creature's eyes blinking through the scope. He was sure he wasn't looking at a human, but he still asks, why'd you do that? The creature bellowed a strange roar louder and different than any noise he had ever heard in these woods before. Lee's hands were shaking as he watched the creature through his scope. The thought came to his mind, this is your chance. He tried to be a good provider for his family, but there was usually more month left than paycheck. If he shot this creature, he was guaranteed a payday. There had even been a TV show offering a huge bounty for just a little proof. A body would be worth more. They could replace his wife's death trap of a car, college savings for the kids, and fewer trips to the thrift store. Just one shot, and they would finally have their heads above water. His father's reminders about only taking what you need whisper in his mind. Lee took a deep breath, whispered I need this aim center mass, and pulled the trigger. The creature grunted and screamed as it grabbed at its side. He could see the blood dripping between its fingers as it turned and ran. The creature wasn't running very fast, but it maintained its distance from Lee. It crossed over a river and climbed up the limestone cliff running along the river, climbing into the mouth of a bluff shelter. Lee knew he would be at a disadvantage if he tried to climb up to the bluff shelter, but he couldn't see into the shelter from his location on the ground. He backed up and watched the creature in the shelter through his scope. It was too far away to take a second shot, so he stayed there observing the creature's actions. Lee could see the creature leaning against the side of the shelter, taking deep breaths. If the creature died there, the body would be safe. He had been watching for about ten minutes through his scope when he noticed a gray figure at the creature's side. He could see gray arms moving as the wounded creature was gesturing toward the wound area. The gray figure put its hand down on the wound and the creature screamed in pain. Lee felt a twinge of guilt feeling sorry for the pain the wounded creature was suffering. Oh God, why didn't I get a clean shot, he thought. The wounded creature sat down and put its back against the shelter wall. From the opposite side of the shelter, he saw another dark figure approach the wounded creature and fall to its knees. It rested its hands on the wounded one's legs. Its lips move as if talking. It stood back up and turned around as a small figure ran up to it. It leaned down to pick up the smaller figure, and Lee could see pendulous breasts hanging. He realized this was a female, a mother. Lee lowered his gun, trembling with the realization of what he had done. I shot the father. I may have killed this little one's father. Guilt washed over him. He would never do anything illegal to help his family financially, but he couldn't shake the feeling that what he had done was akin to murder. This mother was picking up her child just like his wife picked up theirs. 
This mother appeared concerned about the wounded creature just like his wife would be. If they had no shaggy hair, someone might even confuse them with humans. I'm a murderer. What was I thinking? He dropped to his knees. Lee looked back up through his scope and saw the wounded one standing up again. A mass of leaves where the wound was. The mother was cradling the young one's head on her shoulder. Both were looking down at him. Emotions overwhelmed him as tears ran down his face. He knew his dad was looking down on him too. He set his gun down and put his face in his hands. He was no better of a man than a poacher. He cried until the tears wouldn't come anymore, then stood up. When he looked up at the bluff shelter, there was nothing there. He lifted his rifle back up and looked through the scope. Nothing. He scanned the rest of the area along the limestone cliff and river, but the family was gone. He lowered his gun and turned away, walking back the way he came. He knew he had made one of the biggest mistakes of his life, but he also couldn't shake the idea that this was just a bad dream. He walked back to the clearing where he had left the apple on the rock. Even from the clearing, he could see the white flesh exposed against the deep red skin of the apple. A single bite was missing, and there was a trail of blood near the rock. He walked out of the woods sick, knowing that what had happened was real. Lee would return to these woods every year unarmed with a pile of Arkansas black apples and an apology. Wildlife would dart through the clearing past him, but he refused to hunt at this location anymore. He had violated the trust his dad had built, and he wanted to build it back for his own kids. Lee didn't know for certain if his dad knew about these creatures existing, but Lee had a feeling he did. His dad's patchwork flowery lucky underwear would always be a mystery but he finally understood the importance of his dad's gift of apples. Me and a buddy chose some national forest in Oregon specifically for how remote it was. About a year prior, a family became lost and the father was never found, although mother and child lived to tell the tale. Anyway, we set up camp around 4 p.m. after getting pretty deep into the woods on a mountain accessed by logging roads, maybe about 100-200 yards from where we parked, near a lake. Without much else to do, we started a fire and cracked some beers as the sun went down. Then pickup trucks started going through the woods, slowing down when they saw our campfire. We got curious and stupid via the beers and went deeper into the woods, seemed like a hell of a party was going on. Then we stumbled into a clearing where maybe 15-20 dudes were hanging around a bonfire next to a mossy run-down camper trailer. One had a pistol on his hip, another was just chillin' with a shotgun. We're like, oh shit, at first, but someone approaches us and acts neighborly and invites us to have a beer, so it seemed okay. They were joking around mostly, some talking about drugs, coke, meth, but there were some older dudes that seemed pretty tense. As this happened, four or five dudes who seemed to be standing sentry at the camper, which didn't look like it had been moved in a long time, went inside for a few minutes. When they came back out, they said we were faggots and saw us making out. Pretty quickly I got up to head back to our site, but my slower, drunker buddy took a few punches. Then he made it out and started following, and we were sprinting through the forest in the darkness, just hoping to get back to our site by spotting the glowing embers of our burnt-out fire, the whole time with gun-toters in tow. We found our site, and with pretty much everything in the tent, we pulled the stakes to toss it in the trunk of our car. 
When we hear an enraged scream only about 50 yards from us, kill the faggots. So we were like effort, dropped the tent and gear without even saying a word to each other, and sprinted in the direction of the car. We peeled out and thought we were good, but about 30 seconds later some headlights come up from behind us, and I'm like, F, that's the truck that shotgun dude was chillin' at. So now we're being pursued by crazy gun-toting rednecks with a superior vehicle in unfamiliar forest on unmaintained logging roads in the dark, and the only thing we can do is speed up. I remember looking at the speedometer as we approached a washed-out hairpin turn, and it was moving from 45 to 50 miles per hour, and the truck was tailing us pretty close, like by only a couple feet, and I was pretty sure that we were going to slide off the cliff and die. Somehow my drunk-ass buddy managed to power slide that turn and get some distance between us and the tweakers, and we eventually made it to a paved two-lane, at which point the truck pulled off. We put it together later that the camper was a meth lab, nothing else it really could have been, deep in the forest with armed guards and shit. But yeah, it resulted in a drunken high-speed night chase on unfamiliar logging roads, and we nearly slid off the side of a mountain. One August, I ventured into the dense woods near the Three Sisters Wilderness with a rather unique friend of mine, Roy. You see, Roy claims to be a psychic who can communicate with Bigfoot. Yes, Bigfoot. He lives his life in a way that echoes the habits of this elusive creature and has had what he calls great success with it. His house, he once told me, was brimming with documentation. He didn't care for publicity or approval. He knew Bigfoot was real and that was all that mattered to him. As we ventured deeper into the forest, Roy began to speak out loud to the air around us. He claimed he was communicating with Bigfoot, saying, He's a friend of mine. You can trust him. He's not going to hurt you, referring to my presence. For fifteen minutes, Roy spoke, and with each pause, a series of chirps answered him from the dense foliage. Chirp, chirp. It echoed through the silent woods. According to Roy, the chirping sounded as though it were originating from some sort of cavity. While I stood there, trying to wrap my mind around this peculiar conversation, Roy mentioned his friend Everett. Everett apparently serenades Bigfoot with songs on his guitar. I found myself wondering what sort of tunes Bigfoot prefers. Once we returned to our old-style ranch pickup, Roy was astounded by the plethora of footprints surrounding it. His only response to my obvious shock was a smug, I told you they were here. Despite his claim of communication, Roy never saw Bigfoot that day. We explored further and discovered a large area where the trees were entirely stripped of their bark and leaves. It was an eerie sight. Roy didn't know what kind of trees they were, but he theorized that Bigfoot had stripped and eaten all the bark and leaves. As evidence, he showed me a patch of young cedar trees near what he called Bigfoot Mountain, where the bark had been similarly stripped away. Even though I never witnessed Bigfoot myself, that peculiar adventure with Roy in the woods was something I will never forget. It made me question what I thought I knew about the world and opened my mind to the mysteries that might still be hiding within the depths of our forests. At our lease, we are fortunate enough to have an old house that we have cleaned up and live in. It is extremely old and was owned by the rancher that used to own the property. 
When we originally started cleaning it out, it had been vacant for years. Animals had gotten inside and tore the place up. Holes in the walls, floors, etc. We boarded up the walls and other holes, closed and permanently locked old closets. My dad and I sleep in one room, an uncle in an adjacent room, and my other uncle in a trailer outside. About 11 p.m. on 11.5.11 my bed starts moving back and forth, with me in it. I thought it was my dad shaking my bed, playing a joke on me because that's just his nature. I said, Dad, stop. It was obvious he wasn't doing anything and was asleep. My bed literally rocked back and forth with me in it for almost a minute, and all I could think about was the scene in Paranormal Activity where the demon grabs and pulls the woman out of the bed. I knew that was about to happen to me any second. Then lights started shining in our window, and I heard doors open and shut, pans clinking together in the kitchen, and thought, I'm about to die. Eventually it all stopped and I went to bed. The next morning after the hunt we all were talking, and I asked everyone if they heard or felt anything last night. Everyone did, which freaked me out. Well, it turns out that was the night of the first earthquake in Oklahoma, and we hunt in the panhandle of Texas. That's why the bed was shaking and the pans rattling. The doors opening and light shining was my uncle getting out of his trailer, because he thought we were playing a joke on him and rocking his trailer back and forth. We all had a good laugh when we realized what had actually happened. Okay, it all started out when my brother and his friends went down the hill playing in an old stage coach house. Shortly after that funny thing started happening, like stuff being moved around my mom's little trinkets, especially being moved around. For example, an old perfume bottle with an air squirt pocket deal with tassels on it. Then one evening my brother was doing his homework in the living room, and the hutch doors with wood latches like on a deer blind window moved on their own and the doors opened and then slammed back. Then he heard what sounded like running up the stairs. He freaked out and told my mom he was not staying in that house. He was basically crying he was so scared she told him to calm down. It was nothing but she was scared herself. Two nights later my brother which was 14 at the time woke up and there was a young girl bellied up to his bed. Watching him sleep. He tucked his head under the covers and stayed awake till the sun came up. A night or two went by and he was in his room. He heard his clothes hangers clanking around in his closet. He ran downstairs, told my mom what happened. They both stood at the bottom of the stairs and yelled, Can you please leave Cooper alone? You are scaring him. He can't even stay in his own room, you need to leave. At that moment his door slammed shut, which really freaked my mom out. My brother said, screw this. He stormed up there and said, I'm not scared. Look, I'm getting my shoot gun out and I will blow your head up if you come out again. His gun was in his gun cabinet in his room, which had a key lock and left the gun by his bed. For a few weeks, nothing happened. So he went to pull his gun cabinet keys out to put his gun away. And they were not in his nightstand or anywhere else. So months go by and it's just little things that are happening. One day my mom was cleaning my brother's closet out and underneath a bunch of crap was a suitcase that hadn't been used. In about a year she picked it up and heard something. She opened it and it was his keys to the cabinet. We are guessing it put it in there after getting scared. 
A few nights later, she showed up again in the corner of my brother's room. He freaked out, ran downstairs, woke my mom up, and she remembers it being 3.12 a.m. He slept with her the rest of the night. I come home from college a few weeks later knowing about none of this. Few mornings go by and my mom always asks, how did you sleep last night? Every miming it was always gray. It feels good to sleep in my old bed, but it's so weird I keep waking up at 3.12 a.m. every single night. Still, she says nothing about the stuff that has happened. Walking around the house alone, I felt weird and taking a shower, I felt like someone was watching me. I had never felt that before. Well, one night I was at the house by myself and heard what sounded like someone jumping on the bed upstairs. I yelled, hey, and the door slammed. I got my keys and hauled down the road to my friend's mom's house. I'm getting goosebumps just telling this story. Well, I confront my mom and she spills the beans about what is going on. A few nights later, I come home from partying with my friends and there is anime come from the oven and a cast iron pot was on fire. The funny thing about it was that oven was only used to store pots and pans. The oven didn't work. It was an older antique oven. My mom woke yelling, what are you doing? And she realizes it would be impossible for me to light that oven. I was freaked out bad. Really didn't want to stay there anymore, but I did. Well, my mom got a hold of a paranormal person in Virginia and told him the stories. Told him where we lived. He did some research and got back with us and faxed a pic of a little girl that was 11 that died of smallpox in the stagecoach house. And before showing my brother have him describe her. Well, he described her to a T. The paranormal guy said that when my brother and his grind went down to the house, they might have woke her spirit. And since they were around the same age, she just wanted to play and followed my brother back to the house. And she would not hurt him. She wanted to play jokes and stuff. After that, my brother wasn't as scared. He would just tell her to leave him alone, but would leave little trinkets out for her to play with. And they would always get moved around, but nothing else dramatic happened with the little girl. I left quite a bit out, but if I typed all of it, my fingers would fall off. The house burning down is another story. Hope you all enjoyed.